study the church because it's here in Matthew 16 where we see Jesus use the term church in the New Testament for the very first time. So here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, Jesus talks about what it means when we use that term church. So today and next week, the title of our message is Upon This Rock. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. The word of the Lord says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's pray together, Lord. We thank you that we can come together and be free in our expression of worship. Father, help us never, ever to take for granted the freedom that you have blessed us with here in America. And Father, freely we open up your word today and we read this very familiar passage. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us insight Help us to understand the words of our Savior. Help us, Lord, to more fully understand what a church is and what it means to be a part of a church. I pray, Lord, that you bless us over the next few weeks as we not only discover the foundation of the church, but we look at the leadership of the church, the gifting of the church, the purposes of the church. I just pray that, Lord you would bless us in just a wonderful way as we learn more about what it is that we belong to and how blessed we are to be a part of this, your church. I pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus, and amen. The great pastor Warren Wearsby, who pastored the Moody Church in Chicago, and before that, actually the Calvary Baptist Church, up in Covington, here in the state of Kentucky, he made a great statement that I read years ago, and it's always resonated in my heart. Warren Wearsby said that the greatest wonder that God has on the earth is the wonder of His church. And that is so true. The greatest wonder that God has on the earth 
is the wonder of his church. If you just looked at the church as a human institution with all that she has gone through and with all the criticism, with all of the outward motion against the church, there would be no reason for the church to be here in the world today. And so, my friend, it's true. The great wonder on earth is the wonder of the Lord's church. And I would take it a step further and say to you this morning that the great privilege in the world that you and I have is to be a member of that greatest wonder on the earth, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But may I say to you, I think outside and inside the church, there's really some misunderstandings about what the church is. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to not misunderstand what it is when we say we belong to a church, what it is when we think of our church. Now, to help you understand the misunderstanding that's out there, I would almost guarantee you that if you decided to do a simple survey tomorrow and you said, I'm going to go to the busiest place in Rockcastle County. I don't know if that's Marcella's for breakfast or if it would be some other business here in town, but whatever would be the busiest place in Rockcastle County tomorrow and you would ask each and every person who came in and out of that place, what is a church? Do you know how they would likely respond? They would probably start talking about a building. They might would mention that church that sits up there on the hill off of 25. They may talk about the First Baptist Church or the Methodist Church or the Christian Church or Broadhead Baptist Church. They might would describe a building. And even committed Christians, they reveal their misunderstanding when they speak about church as a place to go and a place to meet. I wonder, did any of us say to somebody in our homes this morning, well, it's time to head to church. Now, I'm not criticizing you if you said that because I actually think I said that to Amy. She was preparing some final thoughts for the Sunday school class. She was going to teach this morning. It was time for me to leave. And I probably said something like this, Honey, I'm headed to church. And so we often do that. But let me tell you from the outset this morning that a church is not a place to come to. Listen closely. A church is not a building. A church is not a campus. Now when we think about the campus here at Bible Baptist that the Lord has blessed you, the church, with, we're thankful for it. Aren't we thankful for this building? And we're thankful for the FLC and everything that's up here on this hill. We're thankful for all of that. But I'm saying to you, if every inch of it would burn to the ground tonight, Bible Baptist Church would still be alive. 
Because this building is not the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a budget. The church is not a program. But from its very inception to the fulfillment of its mission, whenever that is, in the economy of God, the church was, is, and evermore shall be composed of people. So you can't go to what you are. You are the church. Now you can go to worship. You can go to Sunday school. You can go to a women's meeting or a men's meeting or a youth group activity. You can go to those things, but you cannot go to what you are. Everybody say this with me. I am the church. Here we go. I am the church. You're the church. In English translations of the New Testament, that term church appears right here for the first time in this passage that we've read together this morning. Matthew 16 Verse 18, that ought to be a memory verse to you. If you memorize scripture, you ought to memorize at least part of verse 18 where the Lord says, I will build my church. That's the first place you'll find the term church in all of the New Testament. After this one mention of the church, The word church would appear another 113 times in the New Testament. And the Greek term for church is ekklesia. Now it's important that I mention that term to you in the Greek because what I want you to know is that it is a compound word. It's based on the verb kaleo, which means to call, to shout out, to... Uh, summons someone. And then the first part of it, the prefix X, is meaning to come out of, so to call out of. That's what it means to be a part of the Lord's church. Even in the Word itself, here's what I want you to see. It means that you are a part of something that's bigger than anything else on this earth. It means that more important than your being a citizen of a country or a state or a county or a community, you're a citizen of God's kingdom. You've been called out. When you answered God's call to salvation... And we know that this morning, we're thankful for it, that the reason we're saved today is that God saw us in our sin and He sent our Savior and God through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel and through evangelistic efforts of His people, God's Holy Spirit began to work in our hearts and God through His Spirit, convicted us of our sins. He called us out of a kingdom of darkness and through and by our faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God, He has placed us, the Bible says, into the kingdom of His marvelous light. We have been called out. By the way, I'm thankful this morning that I don't belong to this world 
Have you looked at this world lately? With all the things that are happening around us and seemingly situations get worse each and every day, my friend, we ought to be thankful that this world really is not our home. We belong somewhere else because we've been called out of the world and we have been called into the Lord's church. So here in Matthew 16, we find the very use, the very first use of that term ecclesia that's translated into church, into the English language. And then in Revelation chapter 22, the Bible talks again about an ecclesia as being the people of God. Get it down, make sure you understand it. It never refers to a building, it never refers to a denomination, but it refers to a group of people that have been called out and assembled together. That's what a church is. Prior to its use here in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16, that term ecclesia was used for other reasons. For instance, in Athens, Greece, back in ancient days, they, they would have these assemblies where people of the community would be called out together for decision-making purposes. And they would be an ecclesia of the community. People called out, brought together, summons together to make a decision. But I want you to understand when Jesus talks about church and Matthew, the gospel writer, wrote it down in the Greek language using that term ecclesia, he elevated it to its highest degree. You could be called out of the world in your normal situation to do a lot of things. Somebody might call you and say, hey, I, I've got a couple of tickets. Let's go to Rupp Arena and watch the cats. You would have at that point been called out for a specific purpose. But can I tell you today that I'm much more thankful to be called out of the world to serve the Lord Jesus Christ than when I get those calls and I go up to watch the cats. Although I love the cats. My point is this, you can get called out and you can assemble together in a lot of places for a lot of different reasons, but the greatest reason of being called out is being called out of your sin, called out of the darkness, called out of the culture and placed together in a group of people on mission to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. A church is a called out group of people. And here's what I want to do today and next week. I want to answer four questions as we study this passage pretty deeply. Question number one is, how do you get into the church? How does one enter the church? Question number two is, what is the church made of? How is the church constructed? And then we'll really get into some high cotton next week when we think about question number three, and that is what is the future of the church? And then question number four, why is the church here? And so we're going to look at all four of those questions as we study Matthew 16, 13 through 20 on these Sunday mornings. 
But first of all, I want you to notice with me the faith of the church. You can only get into the church by placing explicit faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way you come into the church. Now, I want you to notice what Scripture says about the geographic area where Jesus had this conversation with His disciples. You notice verse 13 of the text. The Bible says Jesus comes into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And it's there at Caesarea Philippi that He begins by asking a question. And that question is, who are people saying that I am? That's the question of Jesus. So I want you to notice they're at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And it's important to understand why Jesus chose that specific location for this specific conversation. It is not accidental. Now you know that this morning. Jesus did all things He did on the earth with intention. Nothing was left to chance or to accident. And so it's for a reason that Jesus brought His disciples out to this place, Caesarea Philippi, to have this conversation. Geographically, Caesarea Philippi in modern days is at the very northern tip of Israel. As a matter of fact, when you hear in the news these days about the activity of Hezbollah in Lebanon and they continue to shoot rockets and you don't get much news of it anymore, but let me tell you, things in Israel right now are still really bad. My friends, the people I work with, they're, they're actually located about seven miles from Caesarea Philippi, and that whole area has been totally shut down, and they've had to be evacuated. But it's up there in the very northern tip, next to Lebanon, and then over from that would be Syria. Here's what I want you to know. In the time of Christ, it was about a 30-mile trip to get from the northern shore of Galilee up to Caesarea Philippi where Jesus took his disciples to have this conversation. Now, I know in your modern thinking, you think 30 miles, that's not very much, and it's not. I drove just under 30 miles to get here this morning. When we think about 30 miles, that's a quick trip over to Somerset or maybe up to Richmond or somewhere else. And so for us, 30 miles is nothing. But think about it, in the day and the time of Christ, to take a group of disciples and move from the northern shore of Galilee up 30 miles to the north, that took considerable effort, 30 miles on foot. And so Jesus obviously could have had this conversation down at Galilee. Now, couldn't he have? Jesus could have looked at his disciples down there at Capernaum or somewhere else on the shore of Galilee and asked them, who are people saying that I am? He could have done that anywhere. But I want you to notice that he takes them up to this place called Caesarea Philippi. The place is breathtakingly beautiful. In fact, if you look at the background of the picture I'm using here, 
I took that picture right here at Caesarea Philippi. It's backdropped by this massive rock outcropping. Very beautiful area. Just out from this, uh, there's a spring that bubbles out of the ground and it forms a third of the water supply for the Jordan River. So it's a beautiful place, spring-fed, a lot of vegetation, just a gorgeous place. But Jesus brought them there because He is creating this contrast about the, the worship that was going on in that area in His day and then true worship. What you need to understand is that Caesarea Philippi, which was also called Pineus, was a desperately wicked, evil place. The false god Pan was said to reside there around Pineus. That's why they named it that. And if you've ever seen a picture of Pan, you can't forget it the way that he was imagined by people. He was half man and half goat and all bad. And people would go there and they would worship this false god Pan and they would do sacrifices to Pan, human sacrifices as well as animal sacrifices. There's a cave in the back. You'll see a picture of it in a moment. And in that cave... That's where the spring begins. And here's what people were taught to believe. That if you do a sacrifice and the blood of that sacrifice spills back there in the cave and it washes out with the spring, then Pan has rejected your sacrifice. And they would continue to sacrifice over and over until that wouldn't happen. That's where we get our word pandemonium. If Pan wasn't accepting sacrifices, then the people would be sent into panic and there would be pandemonium there. And so Jesus takes his disciples to a place that was completely wicked and evil to have this conversation. And so it's right here at this location that Jesus asks this very important question in verse 13. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then you notice how they reply. They say, some say you're John the Baptist. Of course, by this point in the life and ministry of Jesus, John the Baptist had already been executed. And so they're saying, Jesus, that you're the resurrection of John the Baptist. Others are saying Elijah or just one of the prophets. And so the public opinion of Jesus was really all over the board. The disciples are saying, people are saying you're all kinds of people from Old Testament prophets to the resurrection of John the Baptist. But notice how Jesus tightens the focus and he asks the disciples a very personal question. He asks them, but who do you say that I am? You do know, by the way, that that is the most important question in life. The most important question that you'll ever answer is not, will you marry me? Or where will I go to school? 
Or what will I do for a career? The most important question you will ever answer is who is Jesus? All other questions of life absolutely pale in comparison to that one primary question. Who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus is never so concerned with popular opinion. But he's more concerned with personal conviction. Who do you say that I am? Let me just say that I'm thankful I answered that question the right way a long time ago. (laughs) When I was a little boy, 1980, 10 years old, I'm thankful that when that question came to me and I understood what it really meant, that I was able to say, you are my Lord and my Savior. Well, Peter is the best Peter ever is right here in verse 16. Jesus asks the question, and notice Peter is given this great opportunity to vocalize his confession of faith. And Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. In other words, Peter is saying, you're the Messiah. You're not just a prophet. You're not just the resurrection of John the Baptist, but you are the Messiah. You're the long-awaited one. You are the Son of the living God. Didn't Peter right there come in like a champion? And Jesus answers him, and Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. In other words, Jesus takes Peter back to his name. Peter, before we began calling him Peter, he's known as Simon. And Jesus also uses the connection to his father, Bar-Jonah, means son of John. So he says, that's who you are. You are Simon. That's the name your parents gave you. You're the son of John in the flesh. But then notice the contrast, Jesus says, But flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, Peter is vocalizing his profession of faith. Now, we don't know the precise moment when Peter was actually saved. Whenever that moment was that Peter believed in Jesus and accepted Jesus as his Lord and as his Master. That was the moment he was saved. But here is the point when he says it. He says, you're my Lord, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. My friend, that's how you get into the church. By making a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we take up church membership. And probably most of the people in this room today are members of Bible Baptist Church, the local church that God has placed you in. But I want you to understand that is not how you came into God's church. God's big church. God's worldwide church. You do know when we get to heaven, Baptists aren't going to be the only group there. If you know that, nod your head like this. Now, I'm a Baptist. Some person once asked me, Alan, if you weren't a Baptist, 
what would you be? I said, I'd be ashamed. No, I didn't really say that, but I probably thought it. But listen, God is bringing a people of Himself together. And when we get up in glory land, I'm thankful that as John the Revelator looks into that moment, and in Revelation chapter 7, when he sees that great multitude that no man can number, that it's a group of people from all nationalities, from all places all over the world, with all kinds of original tongues, but all worshiping the Lamb who was, who, who was uh, uh, given by God Himself. And so God is bringing a people of Himself together. And the way we get into the church is not because we've been elected by a human body, but because we've been saved by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. Let me make it very, very clear There is one way and one way only to be saved, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The only way you get to the Father God is by faith in the Lord Jesus. And so we see the faith of the church. Peter demonstrates it for us. But I want you to notice with me this morning that we all see, also see the formation of the church. Here's the fact. The church is composed of a membership built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And notice how Jesus responds to him in verse 18. He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. That's where... Peter gets his name that we best know him by. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I want you to see that Jesus gives Simon the name Peter, and then he also makes another contrast between that name Peter and this rock upon which he was going to build his church. I want us to look at this verse in a little detail here because it's so critically important. Few verses in all of Scripture have been more misunderstood in this verse. I want you to know that that name Peter is the Greek word Petros. And the good news is I brought a Petros with me this morning. And you're welcome to fill of it, to toss it around your hands, whatever. I'll take it to the back of the church building when I'm finished this morning. But this is a pebble. It's a stone that I actually picked up right there at Caesarea Philippi. And here's what I imagine Jesus doing when he gives Peter his name. I imagine that in that rocky location, he stoops over and he picks up a stone about like this and he tosses it over to Peter And he says, that's who you are. You're Petros. Petros means a small, movable stone. 
Peter, you're tough. And he was. Peter, you're durable. And he was. But Peter, you're, you're also shiftable. You're also movable. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus did not build the church upon Peter. He said, you're a Petros. And if you don't think Peter was shiftable and movable, just when you get outside of this passage and Jesus begins to talk about his descent toward Jerusalem where he would suffer and bleed and die for us, Peter says, that's not going to happen, Lord. And Jesus looks at him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter was shiftable. But then Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. I think that's the second reason that Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi to have this conversation. If you look at that picture, you'll notice that massive rock outcropping there. And when you compare this to that, there's a big difference, right? This is easy to move about. That's not. In fact, of course, you could go in these days with dynamite and earth-moving equipment. You could move that around. But in Christ's time, Jesus is saying, this is the sure foundation. Here's what Jesus is saying. Peter, you're movable, you're Petros, but on this Petra, using that as an object lesson, actually referring to himself. Jesus says, upon this Petra, I will build my church. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. The church is not built on a man, but the church is built on Jesus himself. You see, Peter understood it. Listen to this as we close this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. These are the words of Peter. Peter wrote and he says, You yourselves are living stones. That's what the church is. We're living stones, but we're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Who's the cornerstone? Who do we believe in to not be put to shame? He is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you're Peter. You're the small stone. You're rugged, you're dependable. But I need something more than you upon which I will build my church. I'm building my church on the rock. And beloved, aren't we thankful this morning that our foundation is not shiftable. Our foundation is secure, it's steady, and it will stand the test of time. All other ground is sinking sand.
On Christ, the solid rock I stand. May I ask you this morning, who do you stand on today? I hope your confidence and your salvation as you perceive it is on much more than just church membership, much more than merely baptism. But when you say I'm saved, I hope by that you mean that I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. My confidence is not in a man. It's not in a denomination. My confidence for my soul salvation is in none other but Jesus. If you're here this morning and you need to receive Him as your Lord and your personal Savior, I'll offer Him to you today. He will by no means cast you out. He will receive you today. He will save you today if you just place your faith in Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian, but you, like a lot of other people, have become disillusioned with the church. Might I suggest to you today that what you're disillusioned with may just be an organization, but when you really look at the church and who she is, who her foundation is, and what her future is, I'm saying to you today, when you look at the church biblically, you ought to be encouraged. And I would encourage you, if you're here today and you've never joined a local church, we'll be talking more in the next couple weeks about what the local church is and how it fits into what Jesus is saying here. But I'm saying the greatest thing that's happening right here in this community is the effort of God's local church. And why wouldn't you want to join that? Why wouldn't you want to support that? Why wouldn't you want to serve with what God's doing to change this world with a group of people called the church? Today, if you need to come, I invite you to come. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing together a song of invitation. And as we sing, if you need to step out, if you need to come, would you come today? Lord, I thank you for... These moments together this morning, thank you, Lord, for your church. Thank you, Father, for putting us together with a group of people, not only with whom we can do life, not only where we can have community, but, Father, you've put us in a group that has the strength, the durability, and the message that can absolutely change this world. And I pray, Father, we would never take that for granted And that, Father, we would do everything that we can do, guided by your Holy Spirit, to serve in and through your body, the church. Lord, if there's one who needs to come to join it, one who needs to come and be saved today, I pray he or she would come. In Jesus' name, amen.